Hi, I'm Andrea, and this is Empowered by Darkness, a podcast for anyone seeking to dive deep into all parts of themselves, especially the darker ones, to become empowered by the integration of these into uncovering your unique expression and purpose. Here we shed light on the self-hatred, the resentment, the need for validation and saving, the fear of being loved, the illusion of power in damaging patterns, and many more topics that will challenge you to bloom where you are currently planted. Welcome to your life's work. Take a seat and let's get started. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Empowered by Darkness podcast. I am your host, Andrea. Today's episode is nothing short of monumental for the soul that is currently listening that has lacked a father figure at some point in their lives. Now, let me mention two things before I get started. In this episode, I am speaking about a topic that obviously applies to both men and women, but you will notice that some of the things that I mention are more heavily geared towards a woman, and that is solely because I do include a lot of pieces of my story that are weaved into the lessons that are that could be derived from this episode, and I am a woman and I experienced that lack of a parent figure but I do believe that they can be the things that I mentioned can be generalized to both genders and the other thing I wanted to mention is that in this episode we talk about the lack of a parent and we do touch touch upon the existence of abuse within the parent and daughter or son dynamic but one thing that you will find yourself discovering as we go along is that absence of a father could have been from death, could have been from any other circumstance that perhaps was not voluntary and by all means couldn't have included the existence of, of there being abuse in the home before the absence. I wanted you to keep those things in mind because there are gray areas in these points that I'm going to be bringing today. But I decided to kind of title the podcast From a Fatherless Daughter to Another Fatherless Daughter because I wanted this to be something very intimate of an experience for you and I. Because as a fatherless daughter, I am still very much going through the motions of the things that I'm going to be bringing up in today's episode. And that is one of the most important things I wanted to kind of include as a disclaimer before starting. I don't think that there is ever a point in which we reach an end in feeling the following things that I'm going to be describing, um, which are kind of the aftermath of being abandoned. I don't think there's ever an end to feeling the extremes of those situations that I'm going to be talking about, but I do think that there comes a time when we acknowledge them and we work through them in our own unique way. So without, you know, making this more of an extended intro, let me get started. A little bit of background 
on why I call myself a fatherless daughter. I want to talk to you about what happened with my dad. And my dad, prior to leaving my family and I, he was very emotionally absent. He was detached from things that mattered to my siblings and I, and I have two older brothers. Um, so he was not present for a lot of the developmental stages that were critical to us becoming the people that we are today. He might have been present physically, but he wasn't there emotionally. He wasn't there as a support system, really in any way that I can recall. My dad was very money-focused. He had the sense of entitlement, everyone's respect, and attention, even though he didn't provide the same for others. He was emotionally abusive, and he was invalidating of my family's perceptions of the unsafe environment that he created. And he started argument, arguments in the home, really just for the sake of arguing a lot of the time. He had very drastic mood changes, verbal outbursts, he behaved very erratically. And I used the, the expression, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I used the expression, my family and I walked on eggshells for a long time. What I mean by that is that his behavior, my dad's behavior was so erratic that it was just unpredictable. And at any moment, I felt like something would occur in the family dynamic that would propel a new kind of abuse that could turn physical toward my mother or toward my siblings and I. I thought my dad capable of that. He also humili humiliated my mom in public by calling her various different hurtful and inappropriate terms in public. One of them being he called her a whore, he called her a slut, things like that. He treated our family like we were inferior to him. He blamed us for shortcomings that happened in the home. And there was, there was the existence of domestic violence. So the dynamic between him and my mother was very coercive, emotionally manipulative, verbally abusive, financially controlling. And in a future episode, just a little bit of, of a side note, in a future episode, I will be delving into how, as women, we internalize the psychological and emotional trauma of our mothers when they are in the hands of a, of a partner that is abusive. That's for a future episode. And one thing that I am just realizing that I didn't mention at the beginning of this episode is that this is going to be one of our longer episodes. And you'll see it, obviously, before you click on this, you'll see that it's going to be over 30 minutes. And the reason being is that there are a lot of things to cover. And I think this is one of those episodes that I just want to dedicate as much time as it's needed for all of these observations about what, it, what life is like after being left by a father. Because I think it's something that as, as survivors in some sense of, of having that lack of parental, of sorry, of paternal 
love and validation, we we survive oftentimes abuse that comes with that package of having lacked that paternal care. Um, and, and if there was no abuse, we still come about a lot of different behaviors that look the same for many women that are in the same place. So I think it's important to bring more attention to them. And I, to reach the point of when my dad left, I, he, did, he left when I was 14, about to turn 15. And the last conversation that I had with him, I will never forget it. It was actually a conversation in which he told me that I would be receiving government assistance until I turned 18. And that government assistance was, at the time, he made it seem as though it was something that was coming from him, even though the government required him to provide a portion of his earnings toward me, like monthly I would receive a check. And that was not something that my dad had power over. That was a requirement. It was state law to do that. But the way that he made it sound, it was as if he was leaving because it was needed by him to take a respite from the home, even though he was the one that was causing a lot of the friction at home. And he was leaving and he was leaving something for me to be looked after in his absence. But the reality was that this assistance was not really coming from him. It was just law to do so, to provide it. But at the time, I took that active care to be something that was actually coming from him just because there were so many, there was so much lack of actual memories that I could recall of him being a caring parent that feeling so much lack in that moment, I wanted that to be a genuine act of care. And there has been no contact after my dad left when I was 14 and I am now 23, about to turn 24 in August. I think abandonment at any age and when it's intentional, it leaves one spinning into in this like sobering awareness that your father no longer no longer cares if you're dead or if you're alive. At least that's how I felt in that moment. And it feels like you've been judged irrelevant to someone that was supposed to consider you a huge part of their world. That was the only natural scenario in your mind, at least in my mind, that's what it was when I was a kid. And if you're listening, whether you are abandoned voluntarily, abandoned involuntarily through death of a parent, or not abandoned physically at all, but left emotionally, whether there was abuse before or after the abandonment, you have been fatherless at some point, and this state of being has implications that we will discuss in today's episode. When we lose a father, we encounter many internal questions that are born from the pain, from the confusion, the anger of having been left alone, and often, as it was in my case, the loneliness happens before we are even left physically. And it breeds this whole new set of questions that we ask ourselves. One of them is, and I want to ask you today, do you find yourself wondering 
What did I really mean to him? What did I really mean to my father? Do you have a deep-rooted need to take care of your mom? Do you have a fear of being unlovable? Do you feel as though you have lost a part of your identity to your father's absence in your life? A father figure is often a woman's first look into the capacity that men have in her world to feel, to act, and react in a way that can promote safety and stability. He is also a woman's first look at herself through the eyes of a man. Hence why we have things like women experiencing fear of being unlovable, experiencing low self-esteem or constant disconnect from her power in manifesting things in her life. A father is a critical piece of the picture a woman forms in her mind of how one half of a romantic relationship is bound to behave. Hence, we have the abandonment anxiety and the distrust that a lot of women that have been abandoned by their fathers feel. A father is, in my mind, not a girl's first love, as we hear that expression often in in many different places. I think a father is a girl's first look into the possibilities of where love can go and where it cannot go. Often staying with her for lifetimes. So it really could be something that feels like it's a part of your core. And even though we have these internal nuggets of acquired information that have cemented themselves into our psyche and our emotional bodies. Re they are mutable. They can be changed because nuggets of information can be explored and challenged and reinvented. And that's what we're doing with this podcast. That's what you do when you start a journey of healing and, and growth. It's reinventing these experiences in your mind now that you're in a place that's safe and now that you're an adult and you can establish a new relationship with yourself. You can go back to those experiences and start shifting the limiting beliefs tied to them and the fears and the anxieties that are very closely glued to that narrative that perhaps you haven't looked at in all of your life. The purpose of this episode really is to normalize the existence of states of being that we might, we might find ourselves in as daughters of an absent father. And in future episodes, I will go more in depth into how we can begin working through each of these states of being, though I do share a general recommendation for approaching each state, and I hope it will be helpful to you. So, there are factors that are associated with losing a parent in the context of it being voluntary or involuntary. When there is abuse involved, there is a variation in some of the factors that I'm going to be listing today. For example, with one of them, I talk about the view that we have of men as women after we have been left by our dads. So, when there's abuse the the view of men being being distorted 
there can actually be very real fear that's stored in the body toward a man that comes from a history of abuse and domestic violence in the home. And that will be explored in its own episode. I think it deserves its own episode to really go in depth with that topic. The first thing that I bring up in this list of states of being that are often born from the trauma of losing a father is the fear of abandonment. I couldn't do an episode without bringing it up, especially not this episode. It's perhaps one of the biggest things that comes as a result of having had a father be absent during our upbringing. And even if he was there, having him leave in such a vulnerable point in our lives. And I don't think it even matters what age you had when that absence occurred. It affects you in the unique circumstances that you were encountering in that moment. So fear of abandonment can also be coupled with a fear of engulfment. So you can actually have both at the same time, or you could have one or the other. I would encourage you, after you are done listening to this podcast or whenever you have the time, to look up attachment styles. You have probably heard of that term, but if this is your first time hearing of it, I think that you looking into it and finding what is your unique attachment style in relationships can be something monumental for your approach toward love and how the way that you show up and the way that you experience your partner show up because attachment styles are so largely informed by our relationship with our first caregivers the people that we had our first real and complex relationship with and I really encourage you to look that up I will try to include a link I would act sorry I would not try I will do it <laughs> I will include a link in this podcast description where you can go and you can take a, an attachment style quiz for free. And honestly, the quiz is just the beginning of, of learning about your attachment style. I would encourage you to look at other resources that can inform you of patterns of behavior and thinking that might be relevant to your attachment in order for you to start having first an awareness of them that is honestly the most powerful thing and then start working through identifying where these beliefs and fears come from and anxieties too so going back to the fear of abandonment when it's coupled with a fear of engulfment engulfment is the fear of losing yourself in a connection and growing up i experienced uh, at least in my romantic connections my first romantic connections i experienced both both a fear of being left and a fear of losing myself to another. And I have, there are, the attachment styles are fearful, avoidant, or disorganized. You can look up both. Uh, they are the same thing, but they show up with different terms. It's a little confusing. But the other ones are anxious, avoidant, and secure. So there are four different attachment styles. With fearful, avoidant, which is the attachment style that I fall into. You crave intimacy and connection, 
but you're simultaneously afraid of getting too close to the person because of past trauma. And this type of attachment style is very closely linked to having experienced trauma as a child. Like someone that leans avoidant, someone that has an avoidant attachment style, someone with fearful avoidant copes by distancing themselves from their partner, but unlike an avoidant style, they continue to experience anxiety and neediness for connection to the partner's love and trustworthiness. So if you notice, there's that desire to get closer, but at the same time, there's that fear of, of doing that. And, and in turn, you exhibit some of the behaviors of being avoidant. It's kind of like inhabiting both an anxious and an avoidance st- attachment style, but it's very heavily informed by the way that you experience experienced a connection in your formation as an individual that was, like I mentioned in the beginning, erratic and quite um, shifting a lot. So you never knew what to expect. And there's that, there's those moments where you might have experienced love and affection growing up. Maybe it came from one parent, maybe it came from mom. And from dad, you experienced the highs and lows. And that led to you as an adult experiencing in your romantic connections that need for intimacy and care and closeness. And at the same time, you have that desire to get away when it starts getting too much, when it starts becoming too much. Growing up, like I mentioned in my connections, that was the dynamic that I was in. It was like a push-pull dynamic. In my situation, I wasn't avoidant in the sense that I avoided being around my partner, but I was avoidant in that I avoided emotional intimacy, and I was uncomfortable expressing my true self. It's important to note, though, that I was avoidant in this way while having no boundaries or very few boundaries. And oftentimes, the concept of attachment style is very closely linked to the conversation that we have on boundaries. I was able to be close to my partner because most of my closeness was was comprised of physical intimacy. And with that physical intimacy, I had very little boundaries. And with my time in general, I didn't really place boundaries to take care of myself and to prioritize what I wanted to do for me. So I, in that context, I was close to my partner physically, but I was avoidant in keeping my emotions to myself, keeping what I was really thinking to myself. And the way that these fears come up in a connection with a partner, like a romantic connection, when someone has a fear of abandonment, there are clear signs that I am going to list only so you can listen to them and see if any of these signs sound like instances in your romantic life that that you just have been in but haven't fully understood why you feel the way that you do why why are these things showing up so strongly in your profile as a as a partner 
and why have you been unable to begin breaking them down and eventually getting rid of them because they're preventing you from having a much more peaceful and just complimentary experience with the person that you love. So some of these signs of fear of abandonment being in your connection are being hypervigilant to see if your partner is losing any interest in you, becoming suspicious of your partner's response or lack thereof, a neediness, a clinginess when your partner is not there, you feel a kind of helpless rage washing over you. These are signs that there is something deeper going on, that it's not just about your partner. And anywhere else in your life, you may experience fear of abandonment in the following contexts. You feel rejected or abandoned when others don't explicitly express praise or attention about something that you have done. You feel triggered at even the subtlest signs of criticism. And this was a big one for me. It truly is something that I'm still working on, but it's very heavily based on fear of abandonment too. For you fear, you fear upsetting the other person. And upsetting if you come from a context of, of trauma and having had a parent that if you upset him or her, there was no period of grace. It was just they shut you out altogether, dismissed you. There was no, no opportunity for closeness and resolution. So the subtlest signs of criticism is an attack on you as the attacks that you might have received when you were younger and you did something wrong and it was not given an opportunity to be resolved in the context of the dynamic that you were in that was supposed to be all encouraging and comprehensive but it could have just been you could have just been stonewalled and not allowed to express your point of view so that fear is something very palpable to someone that has a history of having been shut out by their caregiver. Another thing is you could compare yourself to others often and feel like you are less desirable or lovable, um, aka you have a very harsh inner critic. This is something that I also have gone through for the majority of my life and that I still go through. So we develop these manners of acting and seeing others because we were developed in an environment that lacked safety and trust. Therefore, we witnessed the world as filled with ups and downs, with disappointment, with uncertainty. And the way that we start shifting out of this fear of abandonment is when we do the inner work, we do the personal work on where these belief systems are coming from to move towards secure attachment and this looks like working on finding security within ourselves first and we do this by challenging and reframing belief systems that lead us to betray our peace and our well-being therefore moving us into the capacity to form boundaries that are born from this new trust and then we can go out into our interactions with others, knowing that we are safe 
and that we will be okay regardless of whether our loved ones are completely present or not, and regardless of whether they are replying to our text, they are picking up the phone, or whether they are frustrated with us, we can hold on to that internal security once we have prioritized that first. And if we cannot feel safe right away once we are in a connection with another, we have the capacity to express and communicate what's going on. If we need reassurance, we are able to put words to that necessity. Instead of shutting down, instead of pushing away, we are able to experience leaning into the ones that we love and doing this from a place of authenticity. The word authenticity in this case just means knowing what is your authentic need in that connection. What need do you have that is yearning to be expressed and birthed into this dynamic that is only going to make the dynamic flourish for both of the people involved or the multiple people involved? Moving on, the next thing that I wanted to talk about is self-esteem in the context of having confidence over your worth and your abilities. This is another facet of the fatherless child. I'm just going to say child instead of daughter. Um, but, but it's self-esteem, though it affects both men and women. There has been scientific evidence that women are more highly affected in this area of their persona. So if as a daughter, you thought that your father valued you before he left, meaning that he wanted to stay but he couldn't for whatever reason, this may not be a problem for you. But I will say one thing, it may not be that big of a problem as fear of abandonment. That's a, a wound that is quite big and quite extensive in the sense that it has many facets tied to it. So maybe for you, self-esteem is not that big of a wound, but your self-esteem may still suffer due to other factors in your life. Perhaps you had a critical parent that might have been mom, or it might have been dad in some, in some ways, or perhaps you were a victim of bullying. There are many factors that could still lead you to having both fear of abandonment and low self-esteem. But I just wanted to kind of put that as a disclaimer, that if you had a father that wanted to stay but couldn't, this may not affect you in the ways that I am about to describe for someone that had that situation. So if your father never expressed to you that they saw you as worthy, or if they spoke to you and acted in ways that you internalized as showing that he didn't consider you important, then there can be that subconscious or unconscious thought that your father left because of you. Now, let me explain. When you have that feeling of never experiencing a word of affirmation from your father, that you do things perhaps consciously to receive a reaction from him growing up, or there are just things that are very important to your identity that you think because the rest of the world is noticing them and they are giving you praise or attention for them, that they encompass just a big part of your worth. So if the rest of the world is noticing them and you have this parent, in the case of our episode, you have a father 
that is not paying much mind to these things, then it can create this image in your mind. It could be something that you carry now that is highly unconscious, that perhaps if there's no other reason, dad left because you weren't enough, because he never gave you an acknowledgement of the things that you considered based on your environment and the people that were a part of your life besides him, you considered those things made you worthy. But if dad couldn't see them and he couldn't say anything about them, not because they weren't true, but because he in his own capabilities or in his own limited capabilities was just not able to notice them, least tell you about them, then it forms this distorted view in your mind of your worthiness. And it also ties to the abandonment itself because you have made the abandonment about you when it could have been about something completely different altogether. It could have been about your dad's dynamic with your mom. It could have been because dad had addiction issues, money issues, dad was just in an unstable mental health condition, or dad was just unable to continue being a parent, and it had nothing to do with you. But this is one facet in which we can do some very heavy internalizing. So this can lead to you having a low view of yourself and your abilities, first as a daughter, and then you can generalize it to whatever other role you may play on later on in your life. You may play the role of being a student, a worker, a partner, and you start generalizing that low self perspective into these different roles because like I mentioned that initial sense of worthiness came from a very specific time period in which you were given praise for it but you lacked it from the one person that you were expecting it from and in my case I didn't believe that my father left because of something that I did only because there was a lot of friction at home with everyone prior to his departure. But I will say that I did internalize the lack of affirmative comments about myself as a child. I internalized those things as a statement of my worth. So my love language has always been words of affirmation. And from my father, there were very few. Um, sometimes I think that they were null. I don't think there were any, <laughs> if I'm being completely frank. And that might be, and in a future episode when I touch upon my life story, you will see that my memories are kind of sparse from childhood. So it may be because I have blocked certain things from my memory, but there was the added element of there having been verbal abuse at home when I grew up. So my dad, he explicitly called me stupid in some occasions. He told me that I didn't know what I was talking about whenever I defended my mother. So he made judgments on my intelligence and my sensitivity and my awareness. And those judgments, there being a lack of affirmative things said, the negative judgments only highlighted the lack of affirmation 
in our dynamic between my father and I. So it created this kind of gaping hole that I couldn't fill with anything. And so I felt like that gaping hole was visible to the rest of the world. Because I felt like growing up, all that I really wanted, all that child me really wanted, was for that hole to be filled with an expression of love. And I lacked that expression from the person that I at first wanted him to give it to me because I loved him and I I felt then that he loved me too. And then later on in life, when the abuse got really bad at home, I wanted it because it was a statement of the control that I could have on the situation. If I felt that there was something worth saving and that thing that was worth saving was having my dad express that he felt something positive about me and I thought maybe I can hold on to that to be able to withstand the constant yelling the threats against my mother against my brothers but it didn't work out that way additionally one thing I wanted to mention too is that if your father left at a time in which you understood your identity was very tied to a certain thing like something that you did at school sports the arts, then you can, over time, actually develop low self-esteem in the same space. So it could be in the space of school, in the space of sports, because you didn't receive affirmation by the person you looked toward to for providing it at a time in which it meant a lot to you. It might not mean a lot to you now, because you might have moved on to different interests, You might now not be a student and you might be working, but at the time when it happened, I want you to think about that. As I am describing this, it might seem like it's not relevant to your life anymore because you might now be a very successful businesswoman or you might be a successful entrepreneur, you know, it's, it seems like it might not be relevant that your father didn't give you affirmation when you were in middle school or in high school doing x y and z but you have to understand that at that time when you were at that age when you were 14 when you were 15 high school whatever you were doing in high school it was your entire world it was your entire identity it was how you made sense of who you were and that feeling that you had at that time of not having been seen in that context that was important to your identity, it's kind of like it stayed stuck in time. And one thing that I've learned in just informing myself of of psychology and the way that we work as human beings in, in relationships is that a lot of the times our relationships are so, so highly informed by the moments that we have been stuck in time in our childhoods. And a lot of the times what happens in a relationship is that it presses play on that moment that that was frozen. And all of a sudden you're playing it out again with your partner. It's a whole different dynamic. You're with a an adult now that uh, presumably loves you and is showing that affection in their own way, but the shadows of the past are still coming up. And they're playing a very important role because you've, you've pressed play on the feelings that 
are still inside of you that were born when you were in that high school in that middle school setting so it's important to, to acknowledge that these things are still at play and in my opinion as victims of a type of trauma like this one like being abandoned by a father we shift out of this space of not believing in what we can do or in critiquing ourselves by first understanding what happened to us. That's the first step. What happened to you at the time that your father left? Then we reframe the narrative we have told ourselves about who we are when we experienced what we did. So think about it. What did you tell yourself about you once dad left, once dad was out of the picture? And, and these narratives, the tricky thing about them and why it's not so easy to just look at the narrative and have the solution to how you can fix the behaviors that have been born from it and the thought processes, why it's not that simple is because the narrative a lot of the times is so complex and multifaceted and it has many moving parts that you you most more than likely you added to through your life post dad leaving you know through your relationships through your work through your family dynamic through your friendships dynamic you added to that narrative to the point where some things are conscious some things you know that you need to work on and some things are heavily heavily in your unconscious and you need to kind of work backwards in that in that situation to move toward things that you might have believed never could have posed a connection with what you're currently experiencing so something that is far removed from your current reality is impacting the way that you view people that are currently in your life so when we do this it's really a process that requires gentleness, compassion, forgiveness, and overall conviction that over time you will start seeing yourself differently. Firstly, because you will zoom in on the positive qualities that got you where you are here in this moment. Qualities that may take you by surprise at first. Because it, it may be the case that for the first time in all of your life, you start viewing a quality that got you out of the situation that you were in with your father, perhaps during his, his presence and then post him departing. Quali it might be a quality that you would have never thought actually gave you the strength to continue moving on and becoming successful and and opening your heart up again after having experienced that level of betrayal and abandonment. And, and in my case, what that quality was for me, I'll just share it really quickly to make this detail tangible. What that quality was for me was empathy. I, and now it's so funny, the quality of empathy has become my number one, it became my number one way of comprehending what I wanted to do with my life's purpose, what I wanted to do for my career. And it became my way of speaking my truth. You know, it just has always been a huge quality of the way that I move about in life. And it feels so authentic to my strength. The way that I found strength to overcome my father having left me willingly. So what is that quality for you? 
and and how can it impact your life today if you own that quality so secondly you will start noticing a change because you will hold yourself in high regard for doing this type of work this type of healing work of reparenting yourself and changing the thought patterns that have kept you stuck in the same vicious cycles of accepting less therefore building lasting trust and admiration for yourself that's the goal of this work it's to feel that you can trust your judgment and that you can admire yourself it's the first step toward lasting and real self-love and how that self-love looks for you not a definition that you find elsewhere so moving on there is that third factor that I wanted to bring up today and it's such an important factor that I'm definitely going to be exploring in future episodes and that is the the idea of the way that we, we view men after having been left by our fathers so our relationship with our dad was one if not the first relation we had with the masculine So it was from our dad's actions or lack of actions that we formed our first mental image of what a man is capable of. And if we experienced him in the context of harmful treatment toward our mom, we also formed a concept of how a man will treat the woman that he loves. Whether we recognize it or not, we carry this depiction of our father with us long after he's gone. This depiction actually ends up informing the way that we feel towards men. We do things from this place of, of having seen our father in a very negative light. We generalize men's intentions with women. We catastrophize the effect they have on, on our own relationship dynamics before we even progress in the relationship. So before it's even gotten a chance to, to take off, you know, for the relation, relationship dynamic to really get going, we catastrophize it. We automatically assume it's going to end in the worst possible case scenario. We also give men no space to accompany us because we know it will surely end in abandonment, whether it's emotional or physical. And as we grow... And we move on to the relationship scene um, when we, are, we were abandoned quite young. We may not experience this exact thing that I'm about to mention because it isn't until we form those first serious romantic relationships that we start seeing that the past is having a very big effect on us when we are in these connections. And without an awareness of that effect, we unconsciously engage in connections that mirror the avoidance and the neglect of our dad. And they further reinforce this mental image of the capacity that men have to be caring and to be loving. The reason being is that these dynamics are familiar. They are what we grew up seeing with our dad. And because we can only allow ourselves to experience as much as we feel comfortable in, even if we're doing this unconsciously, I really wanted to make that clear. I'm not saying that you would be comfortable experiencing distrust, abuse, manipulation from a partner at this stage in your life. 
once that has been gone for a certain period of time. What I am saying is that you're unconscious. The dynamic that you grew up stuck in with your dad and your mom and the context of the family, that dynamic lives in you. It lives in the way that you process fear, that you process joy, anger, whatever emotion is elicited by being in a connection. The reactions, the ways of feeling safe and what you are going through, there is like a little blueprint in your being. There's a blueprint in your body, in your emotions that goes back to those moments when you were still with dad and it felt safe to do this. It felt wrong to do this. So if it felt safe to retreat, you will probably reach for that same action once dad has left because it's just a part of who you are. But you will see that this isn't a reflection of the dynamic that you're currently in. And that's when you have to start doing the shift. You have to start trying to identify what's what's been out of place now in this new reality that you've planted yourself in and and how is that impacting you negatively so even if we are though with a healthy partner we can project onto him the insecurities we still hold surrounding the masculine and this eventually pushes him away because we distrust him we have a tendency to retreat and what we do when that happens is we reinforce this view that we have in our minds. We say, he left, so all men are bound to leave eventually. Even though we pushed him to leave, we make it a generalized judgment on men and what they will always do according to us. And we come, with that, we come to that conclusion of all men are the same. And that's a very limiting conclusion to try to find love from to try to find intimacy from and there's no shame in admitting that you have been heavily planted in that conclusion for a long time or perhaps recently you just came about that conclusion i will admit to all of you that i have been planted in that conclusion for most of my life and it's not one that has ever bred anything positive for me because I have been planted in that conclusion and at the same time I have said I want a conscious and I want a loving partner, a protective partner. But unconsciously I have been on the search for the opposite of that. I have been on the search for what has been familiar to me and what I know that I can handle. And the way that we shift out of viewing men with distrust, with fear, with sadness, with grief, and into viewing them as their own person and not a copy of our father's expression, is by first looking at the repeated patterns in our relationship history. Are the men that we have been seeing showing similar behaviors like being emotionally absent, controlling, abusive? If not, how have we shown up in the relationships? Have we been continuously distrustful, insecure, blaming, quick to lose ourselves? You see what I did there? I first looked at the, at the man in the relationship, at one side of the connection, because this could be a, 
a woman and woman connection, man and man. It doesn't have to be gendered. But in the context of looking at the male and forming a male judgment of their capabilities as the provider, as the caregiver, um, caregiver in the context of childhood, but as the provider in adulthood, you know, once you're in a romantic connection, in that context, I first looked at the man in the connection, one side of it. And then I expressed this desire once I realized that perhaps the men that I have been seeing haven't been falling into these dynamics of being emotionally absent or controlling. Perhaps it has been me that has been projecting some of my own patterns of behavior, like being continuously distrustful or insecure or quick to blame. So I made that shift instead of staying stuck in the constant blaming of the other person, in this case, the man in the connection, I, I shifted to looking at myself. What, what dynamic that I have become so safe in, so protected in, am I bringing to this connection that is not serving me or my partner? So, the point of looking at this is to comprehend when we are accepting a confirmation of a deep-seated belief of men and when we are perpetuating a reaction to men that we have learned will keep us safe but not really connected like we want to be. And if we have never had a relationship, we can observe our reactions to the men around us, to the men in relationships with, with those people that we know, and we look to comprehend why our mind always narrows on a specific narrative of them. To give you some examples of narratives that I have formed of men prior to being in a relationship, I used to say things like, whenever I would see a man with, a f with one of my friends or with, I would see my cousin be in a relationship with her partner, I would think to myself things like, he is bound to cheat on her. I don't know why she bothers giving him so much time if he's going to leave eventually, like the last time he left her. You see, I'm forming these judgments on the future of the connection and how it's bound to affect the parties involved without me even knowing what's going on. You know, it's just kind of what's going on with me. And... When we do shadow work, when we do inner work, we unveil if there can be an alternative to these perspectives. And we start asking the questions of how can we arrive at that alternative? What will it require of us? Whether that be releasing hurt, judgment, blame, whatever is the most stuck in your body, in your emotions, and in your feelings. Finally, moving on to the next category. It's kind of similar to this one. It's, we're almost done. just wanted to quickly note that. <laughs> but it's important to talk about these things because a lot of them feed into each other. And I think you will especially see that at the end of this episode, like from this point forward. You will start seeing how they overlap. So relationship dynamics. One thing I really wanted to talk about was sexual promiscuity and it goes back to the relationship with our fathers it can be like i said with self-esteem something unrelated 
to to the relationship with our father it could honestly be both it could be that you experienced abuse from another source in your life from a partner from a stranger from another family member an uncle and that has created certain shifts inside of you that have led to being stuck in this dynamic or hurt by the dynamic because it can be that it's a choice and it's healthy for you and the way that you want to live your life i wanted to make that disclaimer too but in the context of the relationship with our dad which is what this podcast episode is about if it was unstable or dismissive our fathers didn't really reflect any confidence for us any security for us to hold on to in the environment that we were in and lacking confidence lacking security it oftentimes hinders making smarter decisions making safer decisions for ourselves it plants ourselves in dynamics that reinforce the lack of safety we already felt within our our paternal caregivers care so instead we plant ourselves in dynamics that can be promiscuous and by promiscuous i mean having one night stands rotating between seeing def- different sexual partners because these dynamics they promote the same lack of security we grew up experiencing or because they are a way of coping with challenging views toward men like we covered in the last um bullet point or because they help us attain a quick dose of of intimacy without actually letting someone in and risking them abandoning us which goes back to the fear of abandonment you see how these all kind of have an interplay and a disclaimer that i wanted to point out is that this may not be the case for daughters that lost their fathers to death if a father before dying promoted a secure and a close environment before leaving an environment in which you felt safe to make informed choices and make choices that were going to promote your ultimate well-being so a suffering self-esteem one of the other things that we covered can that was born from a lack of presence of of a father or of positive reinforcement it can lead to searching for male attention which leads to promiscuity and when it's when you search for that attention and you get rid of the boundaries that would make the attention perhaps be less physical because when there is a lack of boundaries sexual intimacy is highlighted a lot of the times it can be easy to move from having a conversation with someone that's a stranger and ending up in their bed ending up and this the way that i'm saying this i kind of walk around this topic with some precaution because it can seem as though i am judging anyone that is currently in this space but frankly that is the last thing that i could ever do because i was in the space and i've been open over and over again in my recount of my personal journey that i have struggled with this and lack of boundaries for me was a big one when i lacked boundaries it was easy to go into a promiscuous dynamic even though at the time i wouldn't call it promiscuous but that is what it was it was going after men that in a sense were 
bleeding men that were not there to stay in any way and since they couldn't stay there wasn't the risk of abandonment at least abandonment that felt as hurtful as it felt in childhood or at any other point when dad left so we already touched a little bit of um, upon going after men that are similar to one's father but I wanted to talk about deciding to stay away from men altogether. So this can lead to a hyper-independence that you were obligated to assume the role of hyper of being hyper-independent when your father first left. Perhaps it was because it became the only way for you and your mother or you and your siblings to be okay. You suddenly had to take care of everything on your own. And in that way, you informed the belief that you would only be safe if you took it upon yourself to make things happen. You couldn't trust anybody else but you. So you learn subconsciously to just accept that responsibility and not entrust it to a man. Another dynamic in relationships that can come from lacking a father is that you learn to subconsciously accept less in relationships due to that diminished self-esteem that we talked about previously. There's also the kind of the other hand of that where you, you feel like you must work for love, that you aren't worthy of it all the time. And you might have experienced that in, in your relationship with your father in the sense that your father might have only given you love that was conditional on you doing something specific that was worthy to him, that was useful to him. Or it could have been informed by the dynamic you saw between your parents, where dad was kind and tolerant to mom whenever she gave him something that he desired. And when there was that absence of, of giving, there, there was just dismissive and it's a dismissive attitude or manipulation or abuse, outright abuse in the home toward mom. Finally, this is, I think, the last bullet point that I have. The last factor that I wanted to bring up in this episode that can affect a woman that has been left by her dad. And that is the factor of poverty after abandonment, which I think is not talked about enough. And it's definitely, 100%, it's something that has affected me after my dad left. So this kind of goes a little bit in connection with hyper-independence and having a guard, putting up a guard as, as a woman. So if you experienced financial stress when your father left, or if you saw someone like your mom or, or another caregiver or an older sibling experience it, we may have been forced to either abandon our aspirations to help keep the family afloat, or we witnessed a loved one do that and become ill or, or just lose a lot of their joy to helping the family stay intact, at least financially. This could have infused you with a sense of guilt, needing to work harder to eventually take care of the person that sacrificed a lot for your safety. In either case, there is resentment toward the father for placing you in this very unsafe and precarious situation. You may have had to do things that you aren't proud of to be able to survive that situation. 
And in that case, those things that you did that you weren't proud of might have affected your self-esteem and your self-worth because you did things that were necessary to survive, but that in hindsight seemed wrong, seemed like they were something that spoke negatively about you, about your worth, even though they were survival mechanisms. You may have also adopted a view of the world as unsafe, and you preferred to shut yourself off to joy, to peace, to play, to lightheartedness, because all of a sudden everything became very charged. It, the, the instance of having to survive was incredibly charged for you and for the people that were left behind with you. So you may have given financial gain the biggest space in your priority list because it was the most direct line with surviving. And you might have you may have bypassed emotional fulfillment, loving connections, a meaningful occupation, nurturing hobbies. You may have let go of all of these things in order to fulfill that one very important obligation. I will share br briefly that this situation that I just described has been one of the biggest reasons for me to hold resentment toward my father. I think that for me, the resentment that I feel nowadays after having done some work on other emotions that I was feeling in my teen years and early adulthood, the emotion of resentment stuck with me for the people that I noticed that were so negatively affected by my dad. And that would be my mom, that would be my older siblings. It would be the way they were financially placed in this condition of just having to leave behind so much and, and become ill, physically ill, at times mentally ill, to be able to keep everything afloat after my dad left. And I think that that narrative, that situation, played out again in my life when my mother got ill um, a couple years after my dad's absence. And I felt so resentful that my mom was going through this heavy cancer treatment and my dad wasn't there to help us stay afloat economically. It kind of became this responsibility that fell on my siblings and I, and even though we were older and we, we, had, we were more equipped to handle it, it just felt like why did we have to do it alone, you know? Like, why why did my father get to skip all of the difficult financial and just... It's emotional, obviously, but just finances were such a point of contention because I come from a very low-income background. And, and as much as we, in the world of, like, spirituality and... And personal development, we don't want to say that money grants happiness. It does grant a huge sense of security. And that security impacts your mental health. It impacts your emotional well-being. And that's just, that's just life. That's just a fact. Anyone can tell you that when they have the security that they can afford their next meal, that they can afford rent, they are able to experience more joy and play in their life. So... And there was that point of resentment for me towards my father that was tied to all of a sudden just being uprooted from having this extra support financially. 
and having to fend for ourselves. And another thing that added to my resentment was knowing that my dad was living the life once he left, you know, economically. He was getting a pension. I think he was like, he was like double pensioned, um, receiving a pension from the U.S. and from Mexico. And he didn't have to work. He, I did, I saw how my mom struggled so much in her job. She had like a factory work. She struggled so much physically when she was in that factory job to help my siblings and I go to college. She was working full time, overtime, and my dad was pensioned and living pretty much with any luxury that he could afford in Mexico while my mom was living just such a difficult existence in this job. It was the hardest thing and I still grapple with feeling resentment for that. And I just wanted to be upfront about that because it's it's literally something that I'm still working on. So, how do we how do we look at this facet? So like many of the other suggestions that I gave it's important to observe the belief systems we have taken up as these black and white truths. So there is a pattern that, if you haven't noticed, I'm going to highlight. Because the pattern usually is that we have past experiences. And these experiences lead to belief systems about ourselves, about our world, about other people. Then the belief systems lead to our experience of the world and of ourselves. Then those experiences of ourselves and of the world, they lead to who and what we engage with. And then from there, they reinforce our belief systems. So you see how it's kind of like a full loop. So if we don't engage with the first two parts of the chain, and the first two parts are our past experiences and our belief systems born from those experiences. If we don't touch upon these two parts of the chain, we keep doing the same thing over and over again and we keep reaping the same results. Therefore, we convince ourselves of the hurtful narratives that we have lived ever since our trauma took place. We convince ourselves that those are the reflection of our reality, even if we do it unconsciously. Most of the time, that's how we do it. That's why we, we experience a lot of people that say, well, the past is in the past. I don't see how that's affecting me today. I don't see how that's relevant to the way that I'm feeling in this moment. And yet, they, their reactions, their feelings are part of this chain that I just described. And there couldn't be any of these reactions or feelings without there having been first a past and an experience of that past and a set of belief systems that came from that internalized experience. So, just wanted to leave you with that. So, to finish off, the three of the biggest things that have helped me shift out of feeling at the mercy of having been abandoned are the following. So, number one, having a desire to get unstuck from hurtful patterns of behavior that have kept me small and at times actively hurting me placing me in danger. I have been, I have placed myself in danger before due to the decisions that I have made, often unconsciously, that were just a direct replay of my past and of hurt that I never processed, that was eating away at 
everything that I thought that I had already surpassed. And to not go too in-depth, because these are, this is a list of three things. One of the things that really hurt me was the promiscuity that I mentioned. And there's going to be a whole episode dedicated to this, so I won't go in-depth. But it was definitely something that affected me very deeply. The second thing that helped me was finding a purpose for the pain I felt. And I became involved in a mission bigger than myself. From abandonment... I want to say that all of us, all of us, eventually gain wisdom. And that's the wisdom of knowing how to be there for ourselves, no matter what. That is the wisdom of knowing that you are not going to abandon yourself. As cheesy as it sounds, and I have written, I have written, I think, a poem and I've written a couple articles about not abandoning yourself. Because that's when you really are lost, when you abandon you, not when somebody else abandons you. Lastly, number three, what has helped me is realizing that when another person makes you suffer, it is because he suffers deeply himself, in this case, our father. And he is suffering, and his suffering, sorry, his suffering is spilling over to you in many different colors of behavior, of words that are spoken, of things that are left undone. But that is his suffering, not your own. And you don't have to internalize it as such. Lastly, I want to leave you with these words, and I really hope you take them to heart because I think they will shift your way of viewing healing and hopefully energize you to begin this journey to start looking at your abandonment wound, your father abandonment wound. So when I was 19, I was intensely lost in repeating the same patterns and not knowing where they came from. The pattern of sexual promiscuity, of pushing and pulling patterns in relationships. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was incredibly insecure. I was using achievement to feel worthy. I was showing a persona to the world that I thought would be accepted. And I didn't classify myself as having been abandoned at that time. When I was 19, I didn't think I I was abandoned by my father. But then again, I hadn't yet accepted that I was also abused by him before he left. And I was convinced at 19 that all men were the same, only in search of physical intimacy and quick to leave once they had enough of this. I convinced myself that I would never have a healthy relationship because that kind of love was, first of all, not something that lasts, and secondly, not for people with my past. Those were very active limiting beliefs in my life. At 23, that's 19, I can't do math. four years sorry it was not four four years later um at 23 i have now been observing my past for a few years i have worked through a lot of these belief systems there are still many that i haven't addressed but i'm taking my time and being compassionate the ones that i have worked through i have reframed what they say about me and others i have truly given myself space and time to prioritize how i want to feel from now on And I haven't been continuously on edge or afraid to be seen or insecure about everything that makes me me. But it has been a long journey here. And I still have moments where I fall back into how I used to be. But in those moments, what helps is reminding myself that I've grown. (laughs) I look at past journal entries. I, 
I meditate, I really, really look deeply beyond the emotion of feeling like I've the emotion of guilt to feeling that I've fallen back into old patterns. I look beyond that and I look at what what is informing that emotion. And a lot of the time it's another emotion and that's fear. Fear of of never experiencing the light that goes along with the shadow. But I have experienced it and I will continue to experience many shades of that light, many intensities of it throughout my life and that's beautiful I think that's something that we can look forward to in healing that is very unique and personal to each and every one of us I wanted to leave you with the the statement that we don't hear often enough but that is so important and that is that healing is not exclusive to a season I have heard the term over social media that has become viral of having a healed girl summer i don't know who came up with that term but if it inspires you to start your healing journey then i'm so happy it does but healing is not exclusive to a season you can do it at any point in your life and preferably it won't be exclusive to just the summer or the fall or wherever you feel like you you want to experience a quote-unquote glow up it should be part of your DNA, part of who you want to be, how you want to show up for yourself more than anyone. So healing is also not exclusive to a person that we want to be healed for. It's not exclusive to being in in a specific environment that will facilitate it. Though if you need to place a boundary, you know, do so. It's also not exclusive to time. Like you shouldn't be thinking I should be over this by now. Only you know when you can actually get over something and it's not exclusive to the method that you take to get over it even though therapy helped me a lot with my journey it's not the main source of inspiration and assistance that i had it was a tool but if i had waited to get into if i had waited to begin this journey of of introspection and awareness and healing until I got into a therapist's office, I wouldn't be in the space that I am in today. I I began that search alone for a while, finding my own methods. And also healing is not exclusive to money. It's not exclusive to age. I am 23. I would be considered by many too young to be talking about these topics or to have an authority over them. Which, by the way, I never think I actually have an authority over anything. It's just my take on things. It's my experience coupled with research and my best intention that it will serve you. And healing is not exclusive to already being or not being in a relationship. And it's definitely not exclusive to having success in your life already, whatever that means to you. When I wrote that, I mainly meant like material success. You have to understand that healing, your healing, can begin at any point through any set of circumstances and with someone or without them. Let me say it again. Your healing can begin at any point through any set of circumstances and with someone or without them. We lacked a father. That's just a truth that we have to accept. But we have an abundance of wisdom 
inside of us that is so closely tied to every excruciating memory and feeling that is born from it. I lacked a father, but I gave myself the grace to not lack a connection to myself and who I knew I could be, and I know that you could do the same. So thank you so much for listening. I am so grateful that you stayed until the end, and I cannot wait to speak to you on the next podcast episode. This was a long one, but I think we we got a lot of, of things in there that needed to be discussed. So thank you so much. I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Take care. There is no right time to begin working on the parts of ourselves we may have neglected for the majority of our lives. If you're here, it's for a reason. I am so proud of you for asking the tough questions and delving into what comes of these. May you find the deepest healing and transformation on this path. Thank you.